Welcome to our podcast, Last Ones at the Bar. We're back for another week of in-depth discussions about the sweet science. I'm Wilton Henry, and we have the entire crew back this week, which includes Lavelle Jackson and Daniel Lee. What's cracking, fellas? Uh, you know, everything's everything. Busy, man. I, I caught these fights, man. Uh, it was hard trying to fight sleep, but I'm, I'm good. I'm here. I'm not going to hold you. I had a few 10-8 rounds myself, but, you know, we, we made it to a decision, though, sleep-wise at least. No, that's good, man. But, you know, don't fight the sleep. You know what I mean? I don't <laughs> want you to end up, you know, suffering from sleep deprivation or anything like that because you can always catch these fights, especially the zone fights. They rebroadcast them and, and whatnot, so you can catch them. But get that rest, you know what I mean? And so also what I want to ask you, fellas, how was your weekend? Everything was good? Yeah, everything was cool, man. You know, doing what I usually do. Okay. Yeah, my weekend was solid, man. Uh, two things. One, our Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu gym. Um, my gym, I guess, leader, however you say it, he trained directly under a guy who trained directly under the Gracie family, you know, who were kind of like the founding family of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And so he did a seminar yesterday at our gym so that was cool and then other than that um i was kind of exhausted going into this weekend and so i decided to be more intentional about rest so i kind of uh binge watched the bear on hulu and that was kind of my saturday man i just did that knocked some grocery shopping out and i kind of took it easy so um i feel i'm feeling refreshed glad i did it yeah yeah it sound like you recharge those batteries you know what i'm saying you got to do that man that's why i like to hear when fellas say that they get in a rest, you know what I mean? That's a vital component, you know, especially your health, you know, the, the, the mentals and everything, you, you need that. Because a lot of times we get into that hustle and bustle and we forget to take care of ourselves. But I heard you say that you studied under, you know, a good, well-respected uh, martial artist. You know, you kind of remind me of that Martin episode when Dragonfly Jones said he studied under, under Bruce Lee. He was on the second, I was on the third. <laughs> <laughs> but that's good, man. You know, for me this week, it was another great week, man. I handled a lot of business Monday through Friday, got a lot done, got a lot of bills and stuff like that paid. Some stuff I'm, I'm, I'm caught up to until like October. So I did the finance, you know, stuff, got that together, you know, just maintaining my health as far as like physically, you know, trying to tone certain things up now. You know what I mean? I got my weight where I want it. You know, so I'm trying to check everything across the board, you know what I mean, as far as just life in general, you know, moving forward. Yesterday was my birthday, so I don't have a like an extravagant story as far as what I did for this one. You know, um, I kind of, things kind of caught up to me, you know what I mean? Like I said, I handled a lot of business this week, and then I went out to Georgetown, had lunch at this place called Guapo's. And I had some fish tacos and I had this passion fruit margarita. Well, I had two of them and it was kind of early. So I think that that kind of, I started off too fast. And so later on, you know, I went to this other little place, my spot, you know, San Antonio's for a second. The goal was later on to go out and check out Ryan Garcia out in Arlington. But I messed around, laid my head down. Next thing I know, I looked up. And I saw that he won my sixth round knockout on my fall. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, that, that age, you know, caught up to me yesterday. But anyway, 
Uh, it still was a great week all in all. And also, I want to say thank you to everybody who sent out messages, phone calls, you know, the whole nine yards, you know what I mean? You know, love is love when it comes to that sort of thing. Now, as far as the topics are concerned, we'll get to that. You know, we got King Ryan. We're going to discuss him, you know, in, in, in depth. But I got an off-topic question that I got for you, fellas, because a couple of things are going on here where I've been listening to some of the talks of uh, Lamar Jackson. He has like his contract negotiations going on. Hopefully everything works out well because he deserves um, a, be, to be compensated, you know, with the upper echelon quarterbacks. And then also I was, you know, when I was at the sport at the sports bar yesterday, I was talking to this guy, I had, had this Dallas Cowboys shirt on. Not that I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. I got that a long time ago. I got the shirt a long time ago because when I went to see Errol Spence, he had on like this Dallas Cowboy, like his shorts and his ensemble. And so I went there to really support him. And so some people, you know, you get that having conversations where we were talking, he's like, I don't know if I need to be talking to you, man, because you got the Dallas Cowboy stuff on. So I have to explain to him that I'm really not a Cowboy fan, you know, but this is football season, right? It's, it's, come, it's, it's approaching because we're in the middle part of July. So next month, you're going to start having those preseason games and then the season that starts September 11th. And my question for you, fellas, do you have any early predictions for teams that could potentially make it to the Super Bowl and hoist that Lombardi trophy? Uh, really, I, I don't. Because with football, it's like every given Sunday, it's just something different. And every predictions I would make, it would just fall by the wayside probably after the the fifth or sixth week, and <laughs> like did everything to change. It's, it's, it's funny because I can't even go by. I'm just talking, speaking for myself. I can't even go by the preseason games because I've, I've seen teams win all their preseason games and bomb the season. I've seen teams lose their preseason games and, and, and win them because they, you know, they're playing their preseason games to figure out particular things. So I really don't have any too much of a prediction. I just hope my team, the Lions, I hope they have a uh, at least a winning record this season. Just baby steps. Winning record. I really, my ultimate goal is for them to make it into the Super Bowl. They don't even have to win. Just play in the Super Bowl, and then we can go from there and win it one year. But for now, I just want them to have a winning season. I'll give my disclaimer, first of all. I don't really be paying attention to football to like, after Christmas. You know what I mean? But that said, you know, if I have to make a prediction right now i would have to start a course with the teams that made it before right you know so the Bengals, from what i have seen like i haven't been paying close attention once again but i don't think they've lost much and they're coming in with gained experience the rams i'm a little bit worried about because you know odell was healthy and he's going to be recovering from that acl surgery if he's even going to be a part of the team because i believe he's a free agent um I was going to say the Chiefs, but, you know, they lost a, a good piece. So right now, I'm, I, I think the Bengals look good. I think the Ravens could be in there. We'll see what happens with that. And I'm going to still go with the Rams for now until proven otherwise on, on that side. So I, I'm, I'm mm. looking at those three teams. Mm. Okay, okay. And the Rams got Bobby Wagner, too, you know, so that's mm. a good, it's a good uh, acquisition there. My early favorites will have to be – the Buffalo Bills, you know, they were right there on the cusp. They got Josh Allen. They got a solid defense. I think they had the number one defense last year. So that would be my early favorite to 
you know, hoist the Lombardi. I like the Bengals. Um, I think that they may have caught some teams off guard last year. And then I think also they caught fire at the right time. All of this, you just never know. You know what I mean? As far as from year to year, things are subject to change, especially when you got a 53-man roster keeping everybody on board, you know, and having that common goal. You know, you just never know. It's, it's injuries and things like that may play a factor, but I would put them up there as well. The AFC is going to be tough, especially the AFC North, because you got the Bengals, Browns, you got the Ravens, you always, the Steelers always going to be tough. Um, and then the Browns, you know what I mean? I like the Browns. Browns are kind of loaded, but it's just the fact that Deshaun is probably going to be suspended for so many games that I can't really um, see them being in contention enough for him to put them over the top. A couple of things that I'm going to be looking for um, is I want to see what the Dolphins are going to look like because they got so much speed with Waddle and Tyreek, you know, is will Tua be able to get them the ball? You know, because they're going to be open. He can't hold both of them because one guy is going to take up like two defenders, or two or three. And so if you have two of those guys, somebody's going to be open because they got a really good tight end. They got good running backs. So it's just a matter of Tua is going to be able to, to, to get the ball to those guys. I'm also looking to see what Mahomes is going to do. My boy, Mahomes boy, is he going to be, um, you know, how is he going to look without Tyreek? You know what I mean? Without that key weapon that he had, you know, will he look the same? You know what I mean? Or will it be where he has a tremendous decline and what we thought was one of the best quarterbacks, you know, in the game. So that's what I'm looking for that. And then the other thing that I want to see is my team, the Green Bay Packers. I just need Aaron Rodgers to lay off the scotch. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? If he can lay off the scotch, I think that we'll have a great opportunity to win the Super Bowl. Last but not least, man, the, the, who I am rooting for, man, I'm a huge Lamar Jackson fan. And I think that he gets a bum rap sometimes when it comes to like negotiations and the media, you know, this dude is putting the Ravens on his back each and every week. Sometimes the, he, he has injuries that he has to deal with. He got the line. I, I saw him play, not last year, but the year before. They were blaming him for the loss that they had against the Bills. And I didn't see the whole game, but the clips that I saw, this dude was literally running for his life. It's like every play. And then they end up saying, you know, oh, he has another loss in the playoffs. I'm like, dude, can a man have a line that, you know, at least have an opportunity to compete? Um, but that's how I see things, man. I'm looking forward to the season. I'm not a huge football fan either, Daddy. I just like football season. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. you know, you got games coming on and, you know, you might just happen to go to a sports bar, footballs, games or, and, and things and just the passion of the different fans and, and whatnot. So I just like the foot, the season. Um, and so that's what I'll be looking for. Now, as far as these topics are concerned, let's go ahead and talk about the man of the hour. And that's King Rock. Yesterday at L.A., he put on a wonderful display against Javier Fortuna. And Vail, uh, what did you what do you think about Ryan's performance yesterday? Yeah, I was impressed by his performance. And and I say this as someone has been, you know, who have been pretty critical of, of you know, Ryan Garcia and, you know, for the last uh, year or two. Um, I just want better for the kid. You know, I want him to do better. And, and he really did exceed my expectations because I thought that uh, Fortuna would give him a little bit of trouble um, and Fortuna would start fast and, and and trouble Garcia early 
where Garcia won't be able to close the show down the stretch. Uh, but Garcia, I mean, when he, as soon as he got in there, he showed his dominance. Uh, he used his, his height. Uh, he, he was definitely very patient. He wasn't just throwing these fast combinations. Um, uh, even though he, he was pretty fast, sharp combinations, uh, his lead hands is very educated and very, I, I like the way he was using his jabs and hooks. You know, it was, it, it was almost like he didn't really need to throw his right hand that much. And he was going to, to Fortuna's body, you know, at times, which um, was very, very impressive. It was showing some wrinkle to his game that he's at least trying to, to, to grow. Um, I think I think around the second round, Fortuna was trying to make something happen. And when he found out he, he couldn't, and Ryan would start throwing this, this uh, one-to-one combination, which is, a, you know, right hand, uh, I mean, left hand, left jab, then there's a right hand, then there's a, uh, he finished it with a jab. And it was so fast, and, and Fortuna would, would get caught by it, and he was like, well, I, don't, I don't know what to do. So Garcia just started just stepping it up more and more um, and, and was catching, uh, even caught Fortuna with a check hook coming in, I think it was around the fifth round. And by that time, it, it, it would just, the fight would just turn the tie. I think in the fourth round, he put, he put, Fortuna down the fourth round. I, I think he probably put him down the uh, fifth round too. I'm not sure, but I know in the sixth round he, he cracked him. He cracked Fortuna with a left hook, and Fortuna just spit his mouthpiece out, trying to, you know, play the Diego Corrales card that Goosen and taught him. But just the look on his face. I mean, ever since the I think it was the third or fourth round, um, Fortuna just had this look on his face. It's like he just he just gave up. He just knew it. He he probably thought that Garcia would be a little easier, and when he found out that he wasn't, it was just like, what do I do? Plus, he didn't look like he was hundred percent in shape. Uh, he he was the heavier guy even in the ring. I think he rehydrated to one fifty seven while went in at one hundred forty, even though he isn't naturally the bigger guy. Like we look at him, Garcia's dimensions is more filled out. Plus Garcia is taller and longer and all that, but you can tell that that Garcia is actually naturally a bigger person than a bigger fighter than Fortuna. Fortuna looked a little pudgy too. So Garcia he improves to twenty two and, and he improves to twenty three and zero with uh, nineteen knockouts. And Javier Fortuna he fell to thirty seven and four and one, but it was a good performance. I was impressed with what he was doing. It, it turns a, a new leaf in his career. Um, but we'll talk about where he goes from here next. And I, and I think it, it was a good performance. Yeah, first thing I want to do, is I want to say shout out to Ryan for not coming in into the fight or coming out with them John Stockton, Daisy Duke shorts. You know what I mean? Shout out to Dior because they put a nice pair of trunks on him, you know, closer to his knees, you know, so that was, it was easier to watch the fight because typically you come in and I'm short shorts. Now, as far as the fight is concerned, man, you know, all praises due to King Ryan, man. He came out throwing a quick stiff jab, straight rights. He also would throw a hard hook just to let Fortuna know, or just so Fortuna could feel the power. You know what I mean? So that to me was something I remember, you know, a quick story that. In high school, I remember this one dude, we were, we were in a locker room and this one guy, they were playing around, you know, like play boxing, whatever. And so when they were play boxing, one guy, he was throwing like some real hard shots. Not that he was trying to hit the other person, but when he threw it, 
how hard it was. He told him, he said, I hit hard on her. You know what I mean? And that's what Ryan Garcia was doing to Javier Fortuna, letting them know, because the first maybe 30 seconds, if you watch the fight, Fortuna was coming in where he was more aggressive, where he was on the front foot. As soon as Ryan Garcia started winging those shots, and some of them were landing, some of them were hitting the gloves, he immediately began to start boxing more. He started moving around. I knew that that was going to be the case in this fight at some point because I saw Fortuna do that when he fought Granados. And I saw him do that when he fought Jojo Diaz. Like it's, he gets uncomfortable when it's a chance that somebody may put him down or put him to sleep. And so he changes up his style. Now, Fortuna, his best way, Bill, you mentioned this, that he looked a little pudgy. That's the other thing that I noticed. He looked that same way against Fortuna, not Fortuna, against uh, Granados when he moved up to 140 the last time he fought at 140. Fortuna's best weight is 130. He's small at 135, and he's just too little at 140. So I think that Ryan, as sharp as he is, as sharp as his team is, that they know that that's going to be a huge advantage for him against guys like who are smaller, who are shorter, you know what I mean, who have success at those smaller weights. And he has the physique to possibly move up to definitely welterweight. I can see him being at 154, 160, depending on how successful he is at these lower weights. Now, um, what I was impressed with with Ryan in this fight, man, is the typical things, that speed, the timing, the size, the confidence, the body work, you know, in the fourth round, he hit Fortuna with a body shot that he was catching him up top. But then when you get so concerned about getting clipped with that left, he has this whipping left that he throws to the body that's just, man, it's, it's torture. And so he dropped in the fourth with that. In the fifth round, uh, Fortuna tried to throw a hook. And they say, don't hook with a hooker. Ryan's timing and power got there first, and he dropped him with that one. And then early in the sixth, he just clipped him with the quick, choppy left, a little snappy turtle type thing. And it just, Fortuna couldn't take it. Like you said, he uh, spit the mouthpiece out, and that was all she wrote. Now, as far as um, the other thing that I want to make sure that I mention is this, is that Ryan, in this fight, he's such a fast learner that he improved on his defense. He tightened up his defense. He also didn't have his chin up nearly as much in this fight as he did previously. So I was all in all impressed with, with Ryan Garcia, man. He's definitely like top three, you know, favorite fighters of mine right now. And I know that he gets a lot of backlash for the things that he says outside of the ring which is a lot of times to draw attention to his fights. And sometimes he just speaks from the heart, you know, off the cuff, which, you know, it could rub people the wrong way. I just think the kid is good for boxing. I like his, his goal, his, his, his uh, self-belief and the fact that he's calling out these guys. He wants to fight the best. He's very transparent. But in summary of this fight, what I was impressed with is that Ryan in this fight, he fought, what was supposed to be his toughest test, and he passed with flying colors. He let um, the left hook score three knockdowns, one to the body, one to the head. When you look at the uh, punch stats, Garcia landed 79 to 24 overall over Javier Fortuna. Garcia was 56 out of 136, so he was very accurate 
for a 41% um, accuracy rate in power punches. And the only thing I'm going to say right now, man, is that the king is back. Shout out to the king, right? Yeah, I don't have too much myself. I thought that he came out looking very disciplined. And I, I think that, to your point, Will, he definitely learned from his mistake from Luke Campbell. He constantly kept that hand up to cover the face. I like that he kept the chin down, too. You know, for at least the earlier rounds, it did seem like he started to lift the chin again as the fight progressed. Maybe that was because he got more comfortable and knew that Fortuna's time was limited or something. I don't know if it was more so that or if it was more so, you know, him kind of losing that discipline some. But I thought that he looked good. I thought he did what he was supposed to do. It was hard to truly judge the performance outside of that for a few reasons. One, you know, this was his first time at 142. If you looked at how they were even marketing for a tuna during the commentary, they had him as past his prime at 33 years old, which I don't know. Boxing past prime is weird because, you know, you got someone like Terrence Crawford, who's 34. But anyway, they had him as past his prime. They had it. They made it sound like he was forced to this short camp, which was seven weeks. And apparently he would not have been able to make the 135 pound weight limit, which looking at the way he sort of ballooned, like I, I would agree with that. You know, but it was hard to truly judge the performance for that. But based on, you know, who Fortuna was coming into the ring, you almost couldn't have asked for a better performance from Garcia. I do agree. Like, I do think to some extent he gets a bad rap. And I, I, I can't be too mad at that because he has historically done a lot of talking that hasn't panned out. But, you know, the more interviews I watch, the more I notice that he's just an energetic young guy and he has a great media personality. You know, he's very marketable. But those things make him sort of like maligned to the boxing community because that's not how they're used to seeing their, their fighters, you know, like their favorite fighters. And so, you know, he kind of gets a bad rep for his personality. But and I also notice that he'll kind of like he'll pick up on energy too, you know? So if someone were to hype him up, you know, he's going to build up off that in a way that, you know, people, if you already don't like him, that's going to confirm that you really, really don't like him. You know what I mean? But I thought he looked good. I have really no complaints, really nothing that I would have added outside of, you know, what I said in terms of keeping that discipline with the chin down. Mind if I say a few things for King Ryan? Yes, sir. The, the great King Rye. The thing here's the thing. Rye is going to face scrutiny. See, now he's starting to, I'm reading comments and people are like, that he can fight. But here's his issue, is that it's gonna take him a little bit more to win dudes over because he's a pretty boy. So he has that, persona to the females like him you're always going to have that hate when you have that uh, persona Oscar De La Hoya had the same issue initially but Oscar De La Hoya was able to defeat that and defuse that because Oscar started fighting everybody that there was to fight he didn't duck anybody so after a while it's like man dude is just what can we say you know he's willing to take on all the smoke but he's taking on all these these huge challenges it's like in hip hop, dude's gonna hate on Drake because a lot of females like Drake. And so they're gonna be like, man, it's not hip hop. That's, you know, he's messing up rap music and blah, 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 this and that. Did 50 Cent mess up rap when he was singing? 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? That LL, when he was making these love songs, would he mess up hip hop? You know what I mean? So right. it's always going to be that um, type of scrutiny for those guys who um, are adored by the ladies, you know what I mean? And, and they're having the ladies come in to pack the house. The other thing is in the fight when he became more aggressive, because if you listen what the announcers were saying, they said that he was going to be like more cognizant of Fortuna and his power and be more cautious the first three rounds. And then after that, that's when he would start to go after him. So I think that that might be the reason why he wasn't as responsible, you know, as far as having his chin down, or he may have just got a little bit more relaxed, kind of like Deontay Wilder when he came out and he, he showed a new side of him with the jab and everything. And then after a while, he just resorted back to his old instincts. So it could have been that as well. But like I say, all in all, man, you know, great performance, you know, and no matter what they say, you know, they can say Fortuna's past his prime. He didn't look too past his prime against Jojo Diaz. You know, that was a pretty close fight. So, you know, I give the kid full credit for, you know, an outstanding performance. Anything else you guys have when it comes to King Ryan? And you say the great King Ryan. <laughs> Yeah, I, I respect the young man all across the board. And, and the reason why I say he's the greatest because, you know, he hasn't shown it all the way. He has the potential to be great when it comes to boxing. But I look at the overall package. Like, Ryan Garcia, to me, he can really have his hand in so many different things. Like, if he wanted to just do the social media thing and just be a superstar there, he could do that. I can see him being a politician. I can see him being president. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because if you listen to his speech after his win – he touched all grounds, you know what I mean? He talked about the mental health, you know, part that he was going through and being just so open about that. And, you know, some of the things that he said in the past and what he meant by that, he's just so open and he wants to fight Tank. If he doesn't fight Tank, he wants to hear female look. I mean, everything that you want to hear from somebody, he's telling you, you know what I mean? So that's why I say he's, he's a great um, in that regard, you know what I mean? Not so much right now as far as the fighter because he hasn't shown everything yet because he's still in the fetal stages of his career. Now, before the fight, you had Ryan Garcia and Javier Fortuna. Ryan Garcia talked about his love for fashion. And he said, I'm not even gonna hate on um, Javier Fortuna. He has on a nice hat. I like the red hat, so on and so forth. Javier Fortuna was gracious enough. He said, if you want the hat, you can have a hat. Not necessarily that I'm not gonna whoop you in the ring. And so they ended up exchanging hats, right? I didn't like it. But that's not what this is about. Moving into our next segment, based on what I saw there, I have five questions. And you know, as the young folks say, they say, if someone, if it's not the truth, then it's cap. If it is the truth, then it's no cap. So really true or false. So I have five questions about King Rye that I would like for you guys to answer, whether it's cap, it's a lie, it's not the truth, or it's no cap, or it's facts. And then please explain your response to the question. So the first question that I had, it was stated that Ryan Garcia is no longer gonna campaign at 135 pounds. He's more comfortable at 140, but you do, I'm still thinking it's a possibility. Big fight comes up, he might be willing to go down. My question, my first question for you with these five questions is, is Ryan Garcia a top five 135 pound fighter, 140 pound fighter. 
in e either of those divisions or both? Is that cap? No cap. I'll say no cap for one of the divisions. I mean, I don't think he's done anything at 140. And 135, I think you have Devin Haney, you have uh, Javante Davis, but Javante Davis is kind of between 135 and 142. And then you have, you know, Tiafimo Lopez, George Campos. I don't know, maybe, maybe he may not be top five in, in 135, but I think he's, if he is, he's, he's like number five, something like that, or number four. I mean, he still hasn't been beaten, but I'm still looking at his resume. And at 140, I mean, he hasn't really done anything at 140 yet. But I think that's a better weight class for him currently. I'm going to go cap as currently constructed because we haven't seen him against one. We haven't seen him against a top five opponent Two, I think that, you know, sometimes I, I think that, you know, to go to boys credit after, you know, his hand injury and after his, his mental health break, they have done a good enough job of building him back. But I do think that as a fighter, his growth was a little bit stunted. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not faulting him for anything that's happened, but I'm saying that three, three fighters are not debatable in terms of top five at 135. You got Devin Haney, you got Lomachenko, and you got Tank. You can't really dispute that they're top three. So at four, it's like, okay, do you put Cambosos there? Um, you know, where does he rank with, with Bullethead? Where does, where does Isak Cruz lie? And then you have some up-and-coming guys we're not even mentioning yet, like Keyshawn Davis, who may be a little, you know, too early to talk to put him in there. But then you got Frank Martin, who looked real good. I believe it was last week. And so um, I'm saying cap only because it's inclusive evidence, and he just hasn't done anything at 140 like you were saying, Vel. For me, I say no cap at 135. I think that when you look at it, he's let's let's give Haney, let's give Cambosis, let's give Loma, let's give Tank. I would say I would have to put him at number four, number five, because I would look at him more so Cambosis, where I don't know. I don't know who would win that fight. But at the same time, I would uh, I think that he has a very good chance of beating. I think he has a very good chance of beating all of those guys. But as far as when I look at the talent level and what I've seen from both, it really doesn't matter because that would put him at either four or five. So I say no cap for 135, but I say big cap, big sombrero at 140. You know what I mean? Because you got guys like Taylor, Progress, Ramirez, Zapata. You got Russell, you got, you know, T.O.'s coming up there. So that will at least put him around six or seven. And I'm not so sure he can beat some of the other guys who are in a lower tier of the top 10 when it comes to 140 right now. I just haven't seen him. Now, I think his size is going to play a factor in smaller opponents. Like if he's facing somebody like like a tank, maybe even T.O., um, as they are trying to get comfortable with 140 themselves. But those guys who've been there, the bigger, stronger guys, I will, you know, but he's gonna have a speed advantage over those guys. I'm just, I don't know how well he's gonna be able to endure the physicality of 140. Even though it's only five pounds, those dudes are just naturally bigger. But we'll see, you know what I mean? He's a talented kid. He's probably the most talented out of the guys that I mentioned is just more so um, being able to 
overcome some of the, the, the physical advantages those guys are going to have. And that's in terms of physicality. Now, my second question, Tank Davis, should Ryan Garcia fight Tank next? Cap or no cap? No cap. I say he should fight Tank Davis next. I, I, I'm not into this. Is he ready or is he not? He's talking. He said it. Look, it's time to deliver. I mean, if he wasn't saying it and he was just still like, okay, I need to have this fight or that fight, then sure. But at this point, it's like, I mean, if he's not going to fight the level of a Tank Davis or a Devin Haney or those level of guys, then who are you going to fight? Because I see those guys. Then you have the Javier Fortuna level, and then you have the up-and-coming, you know, new blood like Frank Martin. So it's like, either you're going to fight it, what? I don't want, I don't need him fighting the Javier Fortunas anymore. So either he can fight the young bloods like the Frank Martins, or you can fight the top dogs. So I would say, yeah, take that Tank Davis fight. I mean, win or lose. I'm tired of guys, fighters saying, oh, it's a bad style matchup. My guy might get knocked out, whatever. If he get knocked out, hey, he took the fight. I mean, sometimes you got to you gotta get those fights. Well, Bill, you know you got the – I think in between there, you got the JoJo Diaz's, you got the uh, Eastside Cruises, you know what I mean? So it's a little – it's a level, you know, in, in between the other guys that you mentioned and the guys that's on top. I give Eastside Cruz. I'm not sure about JoJo Diaz. Well, as far as level, yes. As far as style, I don't see – Jojo Diaz really troubling Ryan Garcia from just from the stylistic matchup what I saw. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just stylistically. But yeah, I, I can give you Isak Cruz because Cruz is an interesting matchup for anybody. I'm gonna say no cap as well. And I'm gonna kind of use Bud Crawford and Errol Spence as a sort of a barometer here, because that's kind of what we have in recent memory. So on one hand, as much as the fans wanted to see that fight over the years, it actually made sense to wait until now, you know, because you have four belts underlying undisputed is a big claim to make excitement is at an all time high It's like, it makes the most sense now, but with Garcia and tank, there are no belts really of notoriety. So there, there isn't any kind of like side narrative to build up. And then on the other hand, with, Errol Spence and Bud, you just don't know what's going to happen if you try to build this fight up. You don't know if one of those guys can get into an accident, if they're going to become injured, if they're going to fight the wrong guy who alters the course of their career. And so it's like you've been, you have these guys who fans have been wanting to see them fight somebody for a while, anybody. Now is a good enough time for both of them to fight somebody, which is each other. You know what I mean? So I'm gonna say no cap. Yeah, that's no cap for me as well. I mean, it's one of the biggest fights in boxing. You know what I mean? And and you can't not only with the Errol Spence fight and the Crawford fight, which could could have got derailed for good. You see how what happened with Errol as far as the injury, as far as the car accident. We didn't get the Wilder and we didn't get the Joshua fight. And you see what happened with AJ Wilder loss. You know, so it takes a little bit of luster off of that one. I mean, it's just so many different cases. We got the Bivol, Better Beef. You know, now you got a fork in a row because Bivol has another mandatory that he's going to have to face after this next fight that he has. So you want to strike when the iron's hot. No matter what you think about Ryan Garcia or even Tank for that matter, 
casual boxing fans know those guys and they will tune into that fight. That fight could do astronomical numbers. So why would you run the risk of having a fighter, like you say, the injuries that could happen, you could have somebody taking a loss and you just don't want that sort of thing. And this just would be good for boxing, you know, and, and it will put a shining light back on the sport. And I just think that right now you have to strike while the iron's hot. So for me on that one, no cap. Now that question was, should he fight tank next? The next question is, will he fight tank next? Uh, I can't say I put I say cap on that one, and I'm not saying there's no, I'm not and I'm not being hard on Ryan Garcia. It's just that I'm just going by history what I've seen from him. We've seen him say he can, he's gonna fight a whole bunch of people and say he's gonna beat a whole bunch of people. And even if he said, even if he really decided I'm gonna fight Tank Davis and they start working on the fight, after all, everything we just I just said in his last what thirty seconds, I haven't talked about Tank side. Now they have to want to fight also. Then you got Larry Ellerby saying that Ryan Garcia, you don't really need Ryan Garcia and all that. Tank will fight anybody, personally, from my opinion. I think he would, but he probably doesn't care. But you have powers that be that would say, oh, this fight could be bigger or, oh, Tank a star and Ryan really not a star like that. You know, so I don't think this fight is going to happen next. So I'll say a cap on it. I hope I'm wrong, but for now, cap. I'm going to say cap as well, but I would – I know you kind of gave Tank a little bit of a benefit of a doubt saying Tank will fight anybody, Vel, but I think the same thing about Garcia. I think that, you know, again, he has his personality and he's young, and so I think that, you know, he might have heard something come down the pike to him or whatever, or, or like – and he'll, like, say something prematurely out of excitement because he's, like, young, and that's kind of what young people do. They hear something, they get excited – and then they start like talking, you know, and it, and then when it, when it falls through, it's on him and not his management. But I think that, you know, Golden Boy is, is kind of Golden Boy's fault to an extent that maybe his head has been hyped up or maybe it's, you know, kind of like delusion on his part. But I think that he's willing to fight anybody too. That said, it's capped because I haven't seen anything to the contrary, you know, like, that get that gives me indication that this could happen this time. Like again, with Bud Crawford and Errol Spence, one of the final pieces to the puzzle was Crawford not being with top rank anymore. So now like that fight makes a little bit more sense. With this, you know, from what I've seen, it, it seems like Tank is staying with Mayweather and Garcia is still in that go to boy contract. And so for me, I'm like, okay, so what's gonna change now? I just don't see it. I hope I'm wrong but I don't see it. As far as will Ryan fight Tank next, I'm going to say small cap, right? This, this is like a beanie, a, a stocking cap. You know what I mean? It's not a sombrero, but... A weight cap. <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, I'm like, when I think about this, I think about the powers that be. Mainly, I can already sense Leonard Ellerbee coming up with some type of crazy excuse. Well, well, well what, what, what about Oscar De La Hoya? You know, he should have him fight Teofimo Lopez. You know, that's more closer, you know I mean? It'll be something crazy that he comes up with. You know, Tank's a star. He's the best one in boxing right now. So Tank can just fight anybody. And so we might just have Tank fight, you know, Jake Paul's little brother. You know, it's something like he gonna do something crazy 
that will derail the fight. And so I can, I can, that's the thing that I'm concerned mostly with when it comes to this fight happening next. I honestly think that Ryan Garcia wants to fight Tank. I do. And I think Tank wants to fight him based on what Tank was saying when the fight was supposed to take place last time. This is the one and only time that I've heard him. Like I heard him talk crazy to people where they might have conversations where they're competing and it might necessarily be about boxing, but he just like, I got this and you don't have that. I heard him do, I've seen him like as far as the tweets and stuff like that, like with Devin Haney or somebody like that. But as far as like wanting to fight and saying that that's what he wants next, I heard him say that. So yeah, it, it sounds like both guys will want to get it on next, but it's just those powers that be. And I think that Oscar De La Hoya, I think he's, you know, much respect to Oscar. I don't know what it is, but it seems like he's more confident now that having that fight take place than he was before, unless they just use Tank's name as a selling point in order to, you know, maximize the pay-per-view buy. Sometimes they do that. But he sounds supremely confident in Ryan Garcia's ability to beat Tank. So it's a beanie, you know, stocking cap, and it's not based on the fighters themselves. It's more so, I would say, like a Leonard Ellerby. Um, now, so let's say, for instance, they do fight. Would Ryan Garcia be, be Tank's toughest opponent? Cap or no cap? I'll say no cap. I, I think and everyone knows how critical I am of Ryan Garcia that I've been. But I think Ryan brings something to the table that I'm not sure I've seen Tank, you know, be in there with, which is a lot of speed, a lot of accuracy, you know, someone who, who, who definitely can hurt him. Of course, we've seen him against We've seen Tank against bigger opponents and guys that are taller, but this is a tall guy who knows how to fight tall and can move and is young, you know, and can could possibly hurt Tank too. So I do think it, it, it brings a level of danger to Tank, you know, that we haven't seen in a minute, if if at all. As far as the Tank's toughest opponent up to this point, it's only really been uh, uh, Isa Cruz. And Cruz brings something to the table that Ryan, they're two different types of fighters. So Ryan brings something to the table that, that Cruz doesn't also. So I, I think it is one of his toughest opponents. I would agree. I'm going to say no cap on that as well. For what I've seen from Tank's opposition, he has fought sort of incomplete fighters that have been marketed to make it a good fight. You know, like Barrios was a bigger guy. And he moved up in weight, and it was for a secondary belt. But Barrios pretty much just had the height and the power, you know. Um, Barrios didn't have a lot of the technical boxing ability that Tank had. And even with that, if you guys recall, Mayweather was telling Tank he was down on the cards, which he was down on my card before he knocked him out. And so, and even with Santa Cruz, like I thought that he was losing some of those against Santa Cruz. But Santa Cruz had the boxing ability. He doesn't have the size or the power to really bother him. What you have in Garcia is the size and the power and the speed and the boxing ability. And so I would say, yeah, that would be his toughest fight. Man, this dude can knock Tank out. So, yes, you know, and I think in addition to what you fellas saying, the confidence, I think he will go into the fight very confident that he can defeat Tank because I can hear every time he talks about him, he's like, dude, it's too little. I'm going to do this to him. He's not going to be able to do this. His, his arm's too short. I'm going to do, you know, so he already has, he's worked it out in his mind as far as what it is that he's going to do. And it's just be camps that he's going to be 
like working on the little intricacies to make sure in his eyes that he's able to pull it off. So he is definitely be, he'll definitely be Tank's toughest opponent. You know what I mean? When I look, like you said, it's always something with somebody that he's facing that you already know the outcome of the fight. You know, you go back to Gamboa, Gamboa, not that he entered the fight with the torn Achilles, but Gamboa was, was past it, right? And you had Leo Santa Cruz, this little guy who's made the order. He's a volume puncher. He's coming in to throw punches against somebody who has devastating knockout power. So you know at some point that that was going to happen. To me, Mario Barrios just like the skills. You know, when I saw Mario Barrios fight prior to facing Tank, I didn't see how this dude could even get a secondary belt, you know, first and foremost. And then, you know, why is he being chosen when you have all of these other guys, all of this other smoke? You know what I mean? And I just figured it'd be a matter of time with that. Eastside Cruz, short notice, but Eastside Cruz is good. I just think Eastside Cruz is like a B-level fighter. You know, but he's good. Now, he's a tough guy that, you know, you might have to go through some things in order to be able to defeat him. But then when it comes to Roley Romero, I don't know anybody in the top 10 who wouldn't beat Roley Romero. You know, so this definitely will be the top opponent that Ryan, uh, that Tank will have faced in Ryan Garcia. Last question I got for you fellas is Ryan, um, top five, one of the biggest punchers in boxing. Hmm. That's a hard question. I don't know. I, I would say a small cap on that. I mean, I, 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 li- I like no, I like the way he punched. Like, I, I, I like what he does, but you still have to ask yourself against who, you know? So yeah, because because if we just going by somebody just punching people out, I mean, Boots Ennis would be on there, but I don't put Boots Ennis there because I mean, he's not knocking out people like he's not knocking out A level fighters. So once Ryan really starts doing that, we can put him up there with a, a Deontay Wilder. But, but, but I do think that he's one of the more talented punchers, you know, in boxing. Um, but even even then, for this fight, I never looked at him some even like a, like, I know we go off on Tank Davis's, you know, uh, opposition. But when, when Tank touched people, they just dropped, like, anybody. Like, he basically dropped anyone who isn't named Isaac Cruz. Um Garcia is more speed and catching you with punches you don't see and catching you off guard. So I think he has the ability to, to be one of the best punchers. He has the ability to be, you know what I'm saying? I, I would say even Terrence Crawford level, but he hasn't shown that yet against the, the, the opposition yet. He needs the opposition. We need to see that. Yeah, I'm going to go cap also. When I think of, like, top punchers, this is just off top. You, you really got to give, I mean, you got – Better be of course, because he has 100% knockout ratio. You got Wilder, who who's you know coming back soon. You got you really got to give it to Canelo too. You know he cleaned out 168, and he cleaned him out with knockouts mostly. And so, yeah, I, I think that he is in the conversation. Until you know, seen otherwise, I would not put him in the top five. Yeah, small cap, you know, it's stocking cap, but yeah, it's it's really, it's really close because I really have him about six, six or seven. My top five would be not in any particular order, but Sora Rumbasai, Wilder, I got a new way up there, I got Better Beef, and then I got Tank. And so after that, it's a toss up, but he's on the cusp because it's very few guys when they clip you with a shot that they do extreme damage. It's rarely can somebody take 
the effect of Ryan's shot and you don't see them either like back up, like they just got to brace themselves or he gets, he hits them in that body. And every time it's like, Oh, you know what I mean? Like they just can't take it. And he does it with such perfect timing. That shot that he hit Fortuna, Fortuna in the fifth, tried to hook with him. He gets there so fast. It's, it's something that, and that's instinctive. Like he just does it, and it's it's the the announcer yesterday kept saying like it's a whipping shot. He just does it like he's been practicing it so much, and it's so natural that you just don't you never know when it's gonna be delivered, and then when it's when, when you're gonna feel the impact of it. So you always got to be very cautious. That's the other reason why I give him such a good shot against Tank is because. I don't know how cautious Tank is going to be because Tank likes to wait until he softens his opponent up. And if he's not able to get close enough to him in order to be able to soften him up, and even when he gets comfortable, he's still going to be in range to be able to get clipped. And Tank likes to wait a while. He'll tell, like, his corner, like, yeah, he's still a little strong right now. I, you know, I still feel it, this power or whatever. And that's not going to subside throughout that 12 rounds. He's always going to be, you know, dangerous, you know, whoever he fights, unless you just clip him and get him out of there. So I have him about number six, number seven, when it comes to the top punchers. Now, that's all I have as far as the questions. Anything else you got about King Rod, man? He did a wonderful job yesterday. Look forward to seeing what he has um, coming up in the future. Hopefully it's against Tank. But he also said that if he doesn't get Tank, man, give me Tio. I'll take that fight. And that's what I like about the young man. But anything else you guys have as far as uh, Tank Davis is concerned? Not Tank Davis, Ryan Garcia. <laughs> no, sir. The only other thing that I'll say is I'm questioning his 140 move a little bit for a few reasons. One, I understand that he felt good at 140, and he looked good, to be fair, like physically like he had filled out more. But I wonder if it would be better for him to campaign at 135 a little longer because it didn't seem like he's had a problem making weight up until this point, and he even didn't have it this time. It's just that it was agreed upon. But – you know, um, well, two things. One, when, I, when I'm in gyms and I hear trainers talk about, you know, making weight, they typically advise making the lowest weight you can make while being healthy because the discipline that it takes you to get down there helps you to get through the fight as well. But then also when you look at the fights at 140 that are actually makeable, almost all of them are top ranked. And so it's like, you know, who are they going to throw him up against if he stays at 140? Like, is it going to be... Like, they're not going to put him up against Prograde. And then you got guys like Catterall or Sander Martin that are too high list, high reward. And so I don't know what the play is if he if he does, like, the long-term play if he stays at 140. I think he'll smoke both of them, to be honest with you. Catterall, not as much. But uh, Sander Martin, he'll, he'll get him out of there, you know. But what I think when it comes to the 140 move is strategically for Tane Davis. Tane Davis doesn't look as – He's vicious, but he doesn't look as harmful at 140 as he does at 135. And Ryan has that – Ryan is bigger than, than Tank. And I just think that it's the art of war, man. You know what I mean? You, 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 the enemy that you have, you want to weaken them as much as possible. If I stay at 135, then that's going to be closer to him where he's at his best. At 140 – you know, his punching power may not be as, 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 as great. And then also, um, not only that, but it may take a little bit of his speed away from him. 
You know what I mean? For him to be able to his footwork and things like that, to be able to get inside the landing shots that he wants to shoot. So I think it's just more so the art of war. You know, if he's going to fight Tank next or fight Tank, you know, in the near future. Yeah, I think it kind of backs Tank into a corner. That's the strategy because you're like, okay, I'm at 135. And Tank, for a minute, he was like, 140, ha-ha, y'all not here. And, and now Ryan can say, hey, look, I can fight 140, and I can fight 135 too, you know what I'm saying? So what you going to do? So it is kind of a a play that can can make someone, you know, it can make someone obviously like they're ducking if you can say, I can fight, I can, I'm fight at either weight class that you fight at, I can fight at. Mm-hmm. versus versus someone like someone who hasn't fought at your weight class like let's say when some certain some people call out canelo but they never fought at 168 you know that's different yeah it, it could be that too it could if he may decide and that may be something that he's using in order to get the fight made where they may say well no we we fight at 135 now then he'd be like okay all right, then I'll take the fight at 135 then, knowing that he's going to come back down to 135, but he's just throwing that out there because he already playing chess and knowing that their next move is going to be saying that, no, we're only going to fight at 135 because they're going to hardball it, and that may be the move that he'll checkmate him with. Yeah, I can respect that. Hopefully. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe trying to duck him, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. All right, so on the Ryan Garcia versus Javier Fortuna, one of the undercard fights was Alexis Rocha. He was back in action and he was taking on late replacement Luis Barone. Danny, I, I know that you took a look at that one. And what did you think about Alexis Rocha yesterday, his performance? Um, you know, so for what it's worth, Barone was a last minute replacement. And the way they kind of advertised this was that Rocha is always in the gym. He loves boxing, so they wanted to keep him active. Some of you may recall he did have that impressive win over Blair Cobbs earlier this year where he stopped the man, I believe, the ninth or the tenth round. Um, now, the way they also marketed this was by saying that Rocha is on par with some of the other top young guys at 147, which I got to say was kind of hard to see in this fight in particular. Reason being, you know, Verone, it made sense as an opponent. You know, he's a veteran who's never been stopped. And he was content not throwing and he kept getting caught, you know. Um, but I'll just say that if Rocha was a guy that the commentators were saying, you would have thought that he would have been able to get him out of there at some point in this fight if he keep if he were to keep catching him. And so, you know, it, it was otherwise not too much to the action. You know, it was a pretty standard fight and the crowd even booed in some spots, you know, um, as for Rocha, there isn't much left for him in that stable except for maybe put him up against there against Virgil Ortiz, assuming he gets the job done next month to see where he's really at. Because at this point, he's, what, 20 and 1, I believe. And it's kind of that time, you know. But that's kind of all I got. It wasn't really much to assess in terms of the fight itself. But that was the kind of the temperature that I felt from watching. Did you guys have anything on it? I don't know if you guys saw it or not. No, I was out of there, Playboy. You know what I mean? I, I messed around, took a nap. This was this fight happened before, like right before the Ryan Garcia fight. Yeah, it was like right before. I was oh. I was on the ropes watching it. I'm not oh gonna man, no, I couldn't even. I was trying to do the rope of dope. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I was the dope. You know what I mean? I was out of there. What yeah, about I, you, Bill? Yeah, I checked it out. I mean, it it was. I mean, it was good to see. I, it, it wasn't like. 
I wasn't like overly impressed with, with Rocha like that. But, you know, uh, I, I think a little bit after halfway of the fight, I started getting uninterested in it. It started, not that it wasn't like any action in it. Sometimes fights can get sometimes, uh, it started to look monotone. And I was like, I, I see what's going to happen. I see what's happening. So he was definitely going to win a decision there. So, but, but, you know, he did what he had to do. Yeah, I would, I would agree. That's kind of what I was like. I, I enjoy watching boxing, you know, the technical aspect of it, but at some point, especially when you're watching multiple, you kind of have to leave something to be desired. You know what I mean? And watching him do the same thing and watching sort of Verone's, I hate to say it, but like Rocky defense, you know what I mean? Like in the movie where it's choreographed where certain things are going to land. It was kind of hard to keep my interest for the duration of the fight. So I feel you on that. But on the fight before that, you had Lamont Rose Jr. He fought Angel Rodriguez. Bill, I know you saw that one too, right? Yeah, I checked it out. You know, DC's own Lamont Roach. Uh, he took on Angel Rodriguez. Um, this fight was interesting for a few reasons. It was a very technical fight to me. Uh, it wasn't like really, really action packed, but I like the fight, you know, um, and, and maybe this could have been, maybe if this fight would have been moved up the card or down the card, we had a different opinion on it, but it was interesting because seeing how this fight turned, uh, at first this fight started out, I was like, this is going to be a long and boring fight because it, it, it was like, they were just waiting posture and waiting posture. Um, and then Roach would come in, um, because of course the, Angel Rodriguez was taller, so he was moving and jabbing and sticking and moving, I, I believe, in the first round. Uh, Roach would come in and try to pressure him, and they would throw these combinations. And the combinations were really, really fast. Like, it was fast, but it would just stop. Then they would go posture for, like, another 30 to 40 seconds. And at first, I was like, I don't, I don't know if Roach is going to win this fight because Rodriguez, you know, he, he was covering that distance, you know, okay, and he wasn't getting caught too much, in, you know, in those combinations. But I think around the third or fourth round, because uh, I think I did give Rodriguez the first three rounds, but the fourth round, it, Lamar Roach just figured him out. And once he started getting close into the into those exchanges, he started catching Rodriguez uh, to a point where Rodriguez uh, hit Roach with a low blow. Um, and what I like is, is <laughs> Roach didn't take the full five minutes. So he started pressuring, start Rodriguez' confidence just waning and waning and waning. Uh, then Roach hurt Rodriguez again around the eighth round. Um, and, of course, Roach is not really a power puncher, but there were some instances where he could have stepped on stepped on the pedal and, and, and went for a stoppage, but he didn't. And that's one of the only things I really had to, to be critical of Roach when watching this fight. But Roach basically, you know, pressured him himself to a, a decision in this fight, and he got the better of the exchanges, and he hurt Rodriguez whenever he could. So when I look at Lamar Roach, because he, this fight, I think when they were discussing it, that they, they looked at it as more, they thought Rodriguez would give Roach some trouble. And Roach, he hasn't really been, you know, they haven't been really looking at him like that ever since his loss uh, to Jamal Herring. And when you look at the super super featherweight landscape, you got, of course, Shakur Stevenson at the top, and you have Roger Gutierrez, and you have uh, all these other guys like Oscar Valdez. Uh, and it's hard to really see where Roach fit into that. But I think Roach is attractive where they they more likely to select him as an opponent. So props to Lamont Roach for, for this performance. 
anything y'all uh, want to share? The only thing I'll ask you is that do you see a title in Roach's future? I think he's talented enough to win a title. Now, who do I see beating him for the title? I mean, that's a different question. Like, I don't see him beating uh, Shakur Stevenson. Well, but let me let me say this, because I, I don't think Shakur is going to campaign at that weight 130 much longer. It's only a couple fights for him at that weight. You know, he's looking at the top, you know, shelf opponents. And right now, I don't think Roach would be considered – you know, I just don't think he would be on the list of opponents that he would want to face before he moves up to 135 and eventually 140. So after Shakur is out of there, right? Do you think that he he, he could possibly win one of those belts? With today's landscape, I think he can. Mm-hmm. But I will I will say that I think more so somebody's going to give him a title shot because he's one of those guys that they look at and they think, well, I can beat this guy. And they're going to take on that. They, they're going to, somebody's going to give him that shot. Mm. And he's one of those guys that he always, he doesn't look like he could beat you, but he can, if you catch, if you're not up to par and you catch him on the wrong day, he, he's one of those guys that can cause an upset, mm. especially to someone like a Roger Gutierrez. <laughs> Roger Gutierrez still has that title. Gotcha. All right. So we're going to end uh, this episode with a few things that are in the news. Uh, when it comes to the sport of boxing, first question uh, or first topic, I should say, it's looking like Deontay, the bronze bomber Wilder is going to be back in action as early as October. Uh, the question for, that I have for you fellas, who would you like to see uh, the champ in against as he makes his return to the ring? It's, uh, it's interesting because I think um, I, I have been hearing some talk about them putting him in there with Robert Helenas. My thoughts on that, I think Helenas is a, is a good opponent if Deontay Wilder is looking to rebuild his confidence. But I don't think Robert Helenas is a good opponent if he's trying, if Deontay Wilder's goal is to fight the, the Anthony Joshua Usyk winning. Because to me, Helenas is going to get Deontay Wilder that knockout. And if even, let, let's say it takes Deontay Wilder nine rounds to, to get Robert Helenas out of there. If I saw that, I would think that Deontay Wilder had slipped some. He wouldn't be ready for Usyk, Joshua, the winner of that fight. So when I look at the, the, the who I think, who I would want Wilder to fight, because you know Wilder has that, 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 that edge, he has that pride in him, that he, he has to be that top guy. He always want to fight the top guys. So, I mean, of course we got um, Andy Ruiz, who is, will be tied up with Louis Ortiz, I thought Andy Ruiz would be a great opponent for Deontay Wilder. Then you got older Derek Chisora and Dillian White and, and people of that nature. Um, I think they pose some challenges style-wise, even though I think Wilder would spark them both. I think they, they give more stylistic trouble than a Robert Helenas would in my uh, Then you have young ones, like you have a Jared Anderson, who I wouldn't mind seeing Deontay Wilder against. I mean, you knock out one of these young guns that show me that you're still here. And to be honest, I think Wilder would take on just about anybody. He's one of those guys. He's cut from different cloth. So uh, even though Helenas is a, a, a decent opponent, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not sure he's that opponent that you would want to prepare you for what he's trying to go after. I say, why not do both? You know what I mean? Because for two reasons. One, if you look at the timeline, they're looking at, they will be looking at bringing him against Hellenius in like October. 
and that Usyk AJ fight is in what August. And so timeline wise, it works out. It's not like Usyk or AJ was going to fight again this year. And so it was like, why not let him get his feet wet again? And then in April, 2023 or whatever, then maybe you have that mega fight in, you know, the UK or somewhere. But then also I say like, there, there's not really much else for him. Like he already turned down Chisora. The only other thing I could think of would be if they were to give him some kind of, like say Fury ultimately decides that he's retired and he vacates the belt. Unless like they're going to put him against someone for the vacant WBC title. I think that it makes sense to just get him active again against an opponent. And it just makes more sense to do that against, you know, someone like him that's already in his stable is easier. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with the Usyk AJ series either. You know, like if AJ wins, are they going to have a trilogy fight? You know, so I think that there's enough question marks for him to just like go with what's in front of him and still be able to pursue, you know, what could happen. Yeah, I think that'll be water be a dang on fool to try to find somebody that's gonna be stylistically trouble for him. Like not right now, not not right after you just suffered a brutal KO loss. You've been in some like major league wars against Fury, stopped twice in a row, you know? So I like the Chisora and White fights, but I don't want to see him in the ring with somebody who has that type of power when you still don't know how he, he's going to be psychologically and mentally. Physically, I'm, I'm sure he'll be fine. But will he be gunshot? You know, you just never know. Like those big punchers who have the supreme confidence that they can take people out, it's always something, I shouldn't say always, it takes time for them to rebuild themselves psychologically. You know, will his punch resistance be impacted by the pounding that he took by Fury? You know, what is his confidence going to be like? I'm sure his confidence is going to be fine in interviews, but once he gets in that square circle, will he truly be the same Deontay Wilder? You know, will he be bomb squad? You know what I mean? So I would shy away from some of those guys who can, you know, put you to sleep with one punch out the gate, maybe a second fight back, you know, because those still lucrative fights. If he fights a white or a sword, those are lucrative fights for him. But at the same time, you know, I think that he should exhibit a little bit of patience, you know, right now. Don't go for no young gun or anything like that. Heck no, you know. And then as far as this Helena's fight, Helena's is maybe the lower top 10 when it comes to the heavyweights. He's definitely top 15, you know, the Nordic nightmare, you know. Um, and on the flip side of that, Helena's is going to be supremely confident going into this fight because he just had two impressive victories over Adam Kawanaki. And, you know, I think that if he's victorious in this fight, depending on how victorious he is or how he looks in victory, if he's successful, then he could possibly look for a fight against somebody or the Usyk Joshua winner. Or he can go ahead, if they, they're tied up, he can, you know, possibly face Chisora because he wants to fight, possibly face Dillian White in the meantime, or even Andy Ruiz, but not right out the gate. You don't want to do that. Um, after you suffer the type of losses that he had in his last two fights. Anything else you guys have on that topic? Yeah, I, I would say so. This And this is why. It's like, I, I understand if 
Helena's just his first fight and he'll have some more fights until he gets up to that winner. But let's say, you know, he, he knocks out Helena's in the second round and Joshua wins the fight against Usyk, right? Joshua is not the guy, for all his, his flaws and perfections, he's still not the guy you want to find out that your, your punch resistance has diminished uh, the time, at the time that you ain't got in the ring with him. You might want to find that out before you get in the ring with him so you can try to, like, move around that. Like, you don't want to find that out once you're in the ring with Anthony Joshua. That's my point. Well, I think if he gets hit by Anthony Joshua, um, good punch resistance, you know, lack thereof, he's going to be out of there. <laughs> like, that's not going to make, make any difference against Anthony Joshua. Wilder at his best, he gets hit by Anthony Joshua flush. That's it. And that's going to be the beauty in that fight when they fight each other, is that both guys can put each other to sleep if they connect. You know, Fury is not definitely not the puncher that Anthony Joshua is. It's just that he's not the, the, tech, the technical skills that Fury has, the, the fluidity that he brings to the table is a little bit different. And then Fury just has the know-how. But nah, man, I, I don't think, I think then also if he get a victory over Helenas, then he'll have the confidence enough to, you know, be able to go into that ring because a lot of this is just psychological, it's mental. I was talking to Curtis Coates when I was in Dallas and it was when uh, Terrence Crawford, he faced um, DeLorme. We were at, um, what's that, uh, a Papa Dose. And so they were sitting there afterwards and then I, you know, I introduced myself, you know, what's up champ, you know, and we, you know, we start talking and, you know, he's a, he's a big, he's from the Dallas area. And, you know, they were like treating him like royalty out there. So I had an opportunity because I, I turned around, I was sitting right next to him. And so we just started talking about boxing. And, and the main thing that he was saying, he was like, did you box? And I, just, I told him the story that I tell you guys all the time. And he was like, um, yeah, he said, yeah, if, if you if you did, he said, the biggest thing that people don't know is, is just the mental side of it. It's just the fact that, you know, wanting to be in there and having a confidence, having somebody's confidence, that's like 90% of it. He was like, because a lot of times, he said, when I first started, I didn't know I wanted to get hit or I didn't know, I didn't want to get hit. But when I did get hit, then it had me in, in my mind wanting to get back at the fighter who ended up catching me with a shot. And so that was the difference between me and the guys I started with. And so we just had an in-depth conversation. So I think the 90% of it is if he gets past the latest, that he'll have the confidence enough to be back, you know, to psychologically to who he was before the Fury fights. And that's all that he needs to me at this stage of his career, like 36, 37 years of age. That's what he wants to get back. Think about guys like George Foreman. When he lost to Ali, it took him a while. Like he had to fight with Ryan Lyle after that. It was like a knockdown drag out. Both guys was knocking each other down and he was on the verge of getting stopped. But I think it was more mental. Had he not lost that fight against Ali, then I don't think he would have had nearly as much trouble with Ryan Lyle as he did. And I don't think he would have had the trouble that he had against Jimmy Young when he ended up quitting boxing after that. So a lot of it is mental. So I just want the champ, you know, to put himself in a situation to get a win under your belt. You haven't won in a long time. And then let's see what you can do afterwards. Also, uh, Gilberto Ramirez, um, he's now the number one fighter in the WBC rankings at like heavyweight which is going to put him in line for a match against Dimitri Bivol. If they do tangle after Bivol fights Buatzi, who would you favor in a matchup between the two? Man, that's an interesting fight. I think it's a good fight. 
I'm not even sure that Zerto's people even go through with this. <laughs> As we learned from, who was it? Jaime Mugia was the, was the mandatory for, for Demetrius Andrade title. So, I mean, just because you're mandatory, I mean, they, they, the person still has to want that fight and sign for that fight. And Zerto, he's, a, he's kind of a star, not like a superstar, but he has a fan base and he's making a little bit of money and he's doing some things. And I'm not saying that Zerto wouldn't take that fight. I'm just saying, just give him another look to it. Um, but if this fight happened, I think, I think it's an interesting fight. I think uh, Zerto brings some things to the table because he's not just a come for Mexican boxer. He throws these, these sharp combinations. He can move a little bit. Um, he can box pretty well. He, he can even box off the back foot at times. You know, not like sensibly like, like uh, Bilbo does. So I think he brings something to the table. Plus he has that size where when Bivo was fighting Canelo, Bivo could, you know, come in and throw those punches and get out because he had the length and he had the, the footwork over Canelo where Canelo really had to close. Try, it, it was really on Canelo to close that, that distance. With Zerto, that won't be the case. And plus you're dealing with someone who is big, strong, and they can box. So... I would say this is it's probably a 55-45 fight in favor of Bivol. Uh, if this fight were to happen, I would see I could see Bivol winning a decision, but I wouldn't be surprised if Zerto won this one either. He has a 45% chance in my book. Great fight to make. Yeah, I know this isn't the fight that we really want, but it's still one of the better fights to be made in the division. And, you know, we've been wanting to see Zerto against a major test after proving himself in the division. And this is about as good as a test you can take in the division, you know. Uh, Zerto, he does, to your point, Will, he has a two-and-a-half-inch height advantage, has a three-inch reach advantage, and he's rangy. Um, Bevo just so disciplined, man. Um, and so it's it's close, you know. Uh, Zerto is on a five-fight knockout streak. Bevo isn't as much of a knockout artist, but it doesn't really matter if you're not able to get to him and he can still outbox you. Like, when I look at knockout artists and the light heavyweight, you know, you got Zerto, you got Better BF. The difference between the two I see is that with Better BF, between the pressure and the power behind his punches, even when he doesn't land clean, he's still going to weigh you down regardless. I feel like with Zerto, he has to catch you enough, which, to his credit, he's done against a lot of guys. But I would slightly favor Bevo's defensive responsibility and his technical boxing over Zerto a little bit here. But I think, you know, to, I guess, to answer, like, does he want to fight? Zerto has been calling him out, you know? Uh, so he's been wanting it. It's just that now, you know, the, the organization is behind it and they ordered it. And also Matchroom, who promotes Bevo, and Golden Boy, who promotes Zerto, they both are on the zone. And so this is, this is a way easier fight to make in terms of, like, the promotional backing, then, you know, the better be Evan Bebo right now, although that's what we want to see. Yeah, the man has been saying that he's he's, he's dugging him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was like, man, this dude's been avoiding me, signing to fight these other dudes. You know, he's actually chasing them around. Hey, who, who, you say who ducking who? That's what uh, Zerto's been saying about Bebo. Well, yeah, what, is, what did Zerto do at 168? <laughs> I'm not saying that Zerto doesn't have a point or that Zerto is unimpressive or anything like that. But it's not like, I mean, Bilbo is not the only guy. Zerto could have fought a whole lot of guys. 
No, I'm just ball. saying, I was just referencing the fact that the likeliness of him turning this fight down, he would look like a supreme uh, hypocrite if he turns the fight down and he finds a way not to fight. Who would, well, one, who would he fight? Two, I mean, like, who else would he fight? And then, two, he's been saying this. I know the last fight, he was saying that um, he's been trying to get Bo to fight. Even before Bivol ended up with the Canelo fight, I think he beat Sullivan, Barrera, or Gonzalez. It was one of them. He was just yeah, saying. Sullivan, Barrera, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was one of and it may be both. Like, he's been chasing him down in terms of what he's been saying. Now, I don't know. You know, Bivol, whatever, for whatever reason, they haven't um, fought. But that's what he's been saying. And it seems like he's really adamant about getting that Bivol fight. And the last thing that he's been saying is that, Canelo, I got you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, you, you know, this one's for Mexico. You know what I mean? You um, picked on a smaller guy, you know, I'm your size. So let's go ahead and, and let's get it on. The only thing about this fight to me, I like it, um, is that it's just putting off that better B fight. And that's the fight that we really want to see. You know what I'm saying? And it's so close to being made because all of the belts are right there. If you end up having, let's say for instance, Zerto wins, and then it's a rematch. And then it's still putting in better beefs. be about 40 years old by the time they end up, you know, um, actually having that undisputed matchup. So that's the only thing for me. I, I hope that they're able to put it off like Zerto is able to get the winner as opposed to being in a situation where it messed things up for the ultimate unification matchup. The last thing I'm going to say is that I want to say it was Eddie Hearn. It was one of the guys was saying that this will, what will happen is that Bivol is going to face Buatzi, and then if he's successful in that fight, then he will face Zerto next. So then, like I said, that that will put the better B fight on hold, you know, for another year or so, if that's true. Anything else you got, Bill? Yeah, like he's chasing around Bivol. Why didn't he fight Bitter B? Bitter B. Probably was available at that the whole time he was looking at Bivol. I don't know. I have no idea. I think he uh sometimes you have your eye on, on a certain opponent. Maybe he was ranked higher in the you know sanctioned bodies of what the belt that Bivol had. I'm not sure, but I do know that that's where his his uh laser focus was on Bivol. All right. But what I didn't do was give my prediction. So if they did fight, this this is a close fight. You know, you you mentioned a lot of attributes that Gilberto Ramirez brings to the table. It will be interesting because I think that he's able to do more than what Bivol is able to do, um, even though Bivol is very technically sound. You know what I mean? So it's hard to gauge because the way both guys will be facing people or styles that they never faced before, and they're two highly technical um Guys, like these are supremely talented, extremely technical fighters. You know what I mean? And probably as, as technical as you can get at the higher weight class or, or in the higher weight classes. So it's razor close, you know. But for me, when I look at everything, each and every attribute that both guys bring to the table, I just think it's his time right now. So I have to lean towards Zerto! Blue speakers out. <laughs> yes, sir. That's my guy, man. 
Now, last topic of the day, you know, Joette Gonzalez, he's set to face Isaac Dogbay next week on July 23rd. Um, I think that Gonzalez is a slight favorite, but whomever is successful in this one, uh, what would you like to see? I would say more so particularly in Joette. Um, and then if he is successful, who would you like to see him in the ring with next? I would like to see Gonzalez put on a boxing clinic against Dog Bay. I think Dog Bay is too uh, limited, even though, you know, I like the guy. I think he's digressed even since his loss to Navarrete. Uh, I mean, he, he relies on it on just power. And I think Gonzalez is just too much for Neho. Just too much for him. It's too much for Neho. So um, for Gonzalez, I don't know. He, to me, lacked a little bit of confidence since he's lost to uh, Chris Stevenson. And I think just trying to figure out where he should go till then. I think featherweight is very, very stacked. And I think that, you know, he has opportunity. I want to see him get better fights, even get some Emmanuel Navarrete. You know, you got Mark McSayo, who just, you know, fought and lost. You got all these other guys. You got Gary Russell Jr. that's still out there. He has all these 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 fights that he can't take. So that's what I want to see next from him. Yeah, I mean, both are good enough fighters in the division. I would like to see what's going to make him stand out. You know, I would like to see if he's meant to stand out. Currently, he's kind of unofficially known or maybe officially known as a guy who looks good against good competition, but hasn't made that leap when fighting the best. I think Dog Bay will be a good chance for him to stand out. And you know, I favor Gonzalez, but I think that not only does he need to win, but he needs to show something that makes the fans want to see him. Now, in terms of like who I would like to see him against next, assuming he gets the job done, uh, he's ranked third in the WBC. So it depends on where he, where Gary Russell Jr.'s health and headspace is because he's ranked number two. Maybe he could leapfrog him and hop into a title shot against Ray Vargas. If not, then, you know, you, you named some names already. Maybe you could uh, put him up against someone like uh, Melissa Lara or someone like that. But he has some options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, only time I've seen both of these guys fight was against Navarrete, where I thought Joette was, it was a lot closer than what I saw with Navarrete and Dog Bay. Um, and I guess that was the second fight that I was seeing, but Navarrete just couldn't miss Dog Bay. And he just dog walked him, you know what I'm saying? So... This right here, just based on what I recall from both guys, I would definitely have to lean towards Joette. I think that at his best, I like his punch placement. I think that he's a real solid fighter. I'm not sure if the level that he can go to, I don't, based on what I recall, that I think that those guys are just a step above, like the McSayos, the Gary Russells, the... Ray Vargas is, you know, people like that. I just think he's just a level below. But, you know, at his age, he's still like 27, 28 years old. He still can hone his skills to be able to put himself in a position where he can knock off one of the top guys at at 130. So that's what I'm hoping for. And um, but we shall see. Anything else you guys have before we wrap this one up? I just want to say. Happy belated birthday to you, my guy. You know what I mean? Like, you know, for you guys, yeah, yeah. if you guys listening, you know, Will is the, the Aaron Rodgers of the show. You feel me? He's a quarterback. <laughs> you know what I mean? He gets us from topic to topic, you know, and um, this was his idea. You know, we we yeah. have been having a group chat for a while, and but, you know, he said, let's start a podcast enough that it actually happened. 
And so he's the reason we here, more or less. You know what I mean? And so we appreciate you, big dog. No, I appreciate I'm glad you. you your birthday. Yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate you, fellas, man. But you know, and, and again, thanks to everybody who sent messages, phone calls, texts. You know, you know the the whole shebang, right? And I forgive anybody who forgot. You know what I mean? Matter of fact, I don't forgive you. You know, if you forgot my birthday and you didn't send a message. Hey man, you I forgot, staff, man. Wait, 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 wait. Crew. And if you didn't send a message next year, if you don't send a message next year, forget you too. Why you put me out there like that, man? I forgot, man. I'm sorry, man. I forgot, man. I forgot, man. I saw it, I saw it, I saw it, and I forgot. No, I saw it good, man. I'm just messing with you. It happens, you know what I mean? But you 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 said it today. So I appreciate you, appreciate everybody you forgot. It's all good, man. You know what I mean? I know that thank you. Love is love. But on that note, man, let's go ahead and wrap things up. You know, I think that was a good episode. King Rice, you know, shout out to you, salute to you. You know, I think he's one of the top young guns in boxing at this rate. If he keeps it up, if he knocks off a tank, he possibly could be in the top 10 pound for pound. But he's definitely a rising star, one of the, you know, biggest names in boxing. So the sky's the limit for that kid. But on that note, man, we out. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode. We'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace. Peace.